Well, welcome to the Crow's Nest. Today, I have a special and very enigmatic guest. His name is Antonio, and he's really done some special things in his life. Uh, and, and he's got a lot of inspiring stories, which uh, I hope that he'll share some of them with us today and that our listeners will also be able to draw some inspiration from. And so, Antonio, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. So, a lot of praise and love before we start. So, I don't know if you can live up to that. Let's see. <laughs> oh, Antonio. Well, well, I mean, if 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 anything, you inspire me a lot because um, you know, when when I think back to how we met, uh, that was that was years ago. I think that was like 5 years ago and yep. at the time I met you in Africa while you were bicycling through basically all of Africa, right? Yep. Well, let's say through the continent. Not Well, people always ask, oh, Africa, what did you all the countries? Well, hell no. That's 54 <laughs> plus or minus two. It changes every month, I think, the number of countries. And you would have to zigzag all over the place. But basically, yeah, I did the whole continent. That's, that's correct, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, go on. No, just I was just thinking. Do you actually remember where and and how we met? It was in this zoo, so-called zoo garden, in the center of Windhoek. Yeah, that's I right. I was... arrived with the bike <laughs> the, the very second almost, or I just arrived five minutes before. I think, and I was uh, the, the first thing. Usually, I don't go ex uh, directly for for a place to stay in those cities. Uh, just uh, I just stayed in the park. I think for another two hours. And that's where you showed up, and I was having some picnic or something like that in the zoo park. That was really fun. That was a nice park. Now, now you remind yeah. me, because um, yeah. I, I saw you there with a bike, and I was <laughs> and interested. <dirty> like hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but I, I I said I said this guy looks interesting. Well, partially because he's dirty as hell, but <laughs> but also I mean you had your bike and a picnic. Uh, mm -hmm. right in the park in the middle of the city and just like a week or two ago i had sold my own bicycle uh that i i was like i had bought a one-speed bicycle and I, single, I was only on I it remember yep you're as well <laughs> in my book the crazy guy doing it with a fixie a single <laughs> speed from what was it from zambia to zimbabwe to, or it was a thousand kilometers in africa with a fixie oh jesus that's right that's right i you remember it yeah i yes. bought that thing in tanzania Absolutely. and i like biked it to malawi and part of botswana but yep. but that was only for a month and you were on your bicycle for two years wasn't it in africa yes yeah right yeah well so, I, I i but eventually i don't think the time in itself is the is the point of course two years is a long time one month is merely a holiday that's what you could say but it's a lot about what you do in that time uh? Um, if, mm. if you can, if you, you can stay two years on a continent and just have very easy living, always eating out, always seeking shelter, and then even two years, you might not have as much of ex new experiences or adventure as you could have in one month, if you mm. really go through the bush in one month. So it just depends what you do with your time. So. Hmm. Interesting. That's yeah. That's a very interesting perspective. Like. Um... Uh, it's like your perception of what what you had been doing with your time. You're saying, yeah, right. Well, it's not just you. well. Of course, it's first. It's, it's always your perception. Whatever your reality is, is always your perception. 
But then, uh, and the same thing, if somebody sets out on a, on a so-called adventure, I had just this uh, talk with some other people a time ago, a young, very young guy who wants to do some adventure. Well, for him, anything will be adventure because he never left home. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. and he, if he does this for a month, it will be a big adventure. So that's mm. the first thing about yourself. And then you think really how you travel, depending always, it always in relation to your status of experiences. So mm. the one saying basically, if you really doing it the hard way, even a month can be really a thrilling. Mm. Well, that's that's kind of you to say. Um, and uh, and you know, I'm, I, I'm... I'm not trying to be kind. Well, so your your experience in Africa, two years on a bike. What what was it like? <laughs> in one word, everything. Oh, you can take as long as you like. Well, in in a nutshell, in one word, pretty much everything. Whatever you can think of from, from literally from the most beautiful things you see, the most beautiful people slash girls you see, um, <laughs> down to the most horrifying, disgusting things and even feeling really like dying the next second. Literally, in, in every dimension you can think, every level, you can experience everything. And we come back to the same thing again. Of hmm. course, it's the amount of time. So more things can happen. A lot of countries, diverse. Some countries are very diverse. Others are just boring the same, more or less. But <laughs> and I think it's a combination of, of time, place, and the way you travel. And of course, hmm. even though it's the fourth thing, your mindset. And hmm. okay, now I'm preaching again, but back to your question. Sorry, um, what was it like? Besides saying this very th simple thing about everything, um, in a few more words, let's say, of course, it, it was incredibly interesting and, but it was as well, I have to say very hard, but not for the cycling. I was, I don't know, I'm still thinking about it and writing things down now in this book, what I'm trying to write, um, that I don't know, maybe it was bad luck. I have no idea, but there's a lot of really weird things happened things breaking down stuff breaking down and your body i was i think most of the time i was bloody sick well, uh, that was kind of yeah if, if i think back one of the main things compared to other long trips what sets it apart from an, from other very long trips is that most of the time i had either physiological problem or mechanical problems <laughs> so <laughs> it was yeah, but that should not be, at least for me, even though it is true, and that was kind of the main theme, you could say, of this trip, because it was dominating, basically, these two aspects, unfortunately. But as I said before, it's a nice coincidence, it, eventually you just move on, because it's mm. not about being sick. Okay, you're sick, so what? Of course, you can't just fly <laughs> home or, I don't know, hang around forever, but then you just move on, no matter how sick or uh, whatever it is, because you huh. want to travel, you want to experience things. And so you end up not only with these kind of experiences that means oh, I, I was bloody sick and I died almost, <laughs> blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But you pile up an incredible amount of impressions. But just what? think about the, uh, the, the photos. I took 28,000 shots, boiled it down to 7,500 nice shots. Huh. And wow, okay. And already an impression of, I don't know, 
is yeah the amount of uh, of impressions in every direction so it's hard to say yeah beauty you could say the beauty and the beast or something like that you've got everything there <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're you're a poetic man. Um, I mean, <laughs> it sounded like you experienced the the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows, right? Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So let's let's hear a story. What let's hear a story. What what was like a very high story of a very high point and a story of a very low point? Oh, you can that there are quite many of both types and a lot in between, <laughs> but we don't talk about the the, the uh, uh, normal things. Uh, let's see, ah, uh, beautiful things. Um, well, about literally beautiful, I remember two things. One thing, well, very very briefly, in the, in Ethiopia, where I had the most beautiful and the worst experience. But the most beautiful was in terms of that. I I went for another I don't know what they I don't remember now what they called some fried stuff like donuts let's say yeah just grease so they get ca calories carbohydrates and and a mm. chai a tea and and then there was this girl I was blown away she was unbelievable just beautiful and humble and nice uh, really but the thing is was that she she didn't talk any English. My Amharic, uh, that is the Ethiopian language, was well, was okay after a few weeks, but not enough for conversation. And then came Ethiopia, and now we're coming to the basically the, the difficult part, which was at that point not yet that difficult. But let's say the guy who was running the shop, the, the tea shop, whatever you want to call it, and and then he he knew her. Yeah, he told me a little bit about her. But then, because I tried to ask, who is she, what is she doing, and I, I, I heard that she was the only one in this little village that got a degree from, I don't know, from the capital. So they thought she's very smart, interesting. But then immediately he started rambling on about his daughter, which was quite the contrary. But it was his daughter, and he tried, started trying to sell me his daughter. <laughs> oh, look at my daughter, look at her, look at her, look at her. So eventually wow. I just buggered off and, and kept going. And for another two, three days, I was really thinking about this uh, <laughs> young woman. That was really amazing. But, wow. but, and this guy, okay, it was not, it was a little bit annoying, but not really annoying. But the other, uh, on the downside, especially Ethiopia, you have one of the worst experiences, especially if you're riding a bike. And I, Bet you dollars for donuts, whatever, almost whatever blog you might open, anyone who really cycles for Ethiopia will tell you it is hell, it is a nightmare. And I know a lot of people, they either coming from the north or south, they stop in the middle, Ethiopia and fly out. Because you, because people, well, not all people, some people are extremely nice, especially the adults. But the, ch the, the, the children, the kids, especially, they call them the devils of Ethiopia <laughs> because they start, they nail you with rocks, with spears. They try to poke sticks into your front wheel. They spit at you. It's, and all the time, almost, it's a freaking nightmare. And you get huh. really paranoid and psychotic. I was at the verge, really, the, to, to kill the next one who comes my way or comes too close. Wow. And so I had there, I said, in Ethiopia, I had the, the, one of the most beautiful things and some people, especially this girl, but even other people, very humble. And then on the other side, uh, really a nightmare day and night. But hmm. 
Well, I have and other things. Well, beautiful things, of course, the animals. If you go way back, uh, Botswana. Once you go through Botswana and then north in the, tri in the this triangle between Botswana, Zambia, and Zimbabwe, and you might have passed with your single speed there. Did you? Are you talking about the Okavango? No. Well, the Okavango is just waterways, which is as well beautiful. But uh, the Okavango Delta is in the north, in the middle of Botswana. No, really, the triangle there between once you go northeast in Botswana and uh, towards Zambia and Zimbabwe, this part. Mm, oh yes, yes, with Vic Falls and um, for example, uh, this region, yes. Right. And, yes. Yes. And it is teeming with wildlife. Unbelievable. You don't need any mm. to pay for any safari or anything. I had animals day and night around me. It was amazing. It was just giraffes. This, I, I'm getting goosebumps when I remember that giraffes starting to go up uh, uh, late in the afternoon, the sun very low. So there was a haze, the dust uh, in the bush and the giraffe running really next to you, with you almost. I have no idea what she was thinking or he, whatever. And huh. it was uh, exhilarating, really. And, and then you see again an elephants. And then it was the Udan story, which was thrilling. Well, it was not a nice story, but extremely thrilling. When you wake up at night and you have one of these really large beasts, the hyena, the brown hyena, which is quite infamous. And you have it right in front of you at night, because I was sleeping outside <laughs> either with nothing or with a mosquito net, nothing else. So, but, so these, I think, even writing about it was one one of the nicest spots this whole maybe 2000 kilometers with all this wildlife around you things and i'm not talking about deer and rabbits or rats <laughs> uh, though yeah the rats were the major problem not lions or hyenas because the rats start eating your stuff at night oh, and i had no. to kill quite a few rats unfortunately <laughs> oh man <laughs> no. but just the large animals i still can dream about it that's uh, uh to, to be there and especially when you're alone and just with a bicycle so you're really there and that is the the hmm. most fascinating thing I, I did as well before and even after that somewhere i could not go with the bike i booked in on a tour which was nice you know what i mean by nice <laughs> not, not life-changing life-changing is when you're really alone there day and night especially night so and that's yeah that's yeah. one of the most uh, lasting memories beside another mm. i don't know ten thousand memories <laughs> <laughs> that's it's one thing i love about traveling too what you're describing like you have so many experiences because you just open yourselves up to like the best and the worst and like yeah generally like both happen i think you know like like often people think traveling is super nice that only good things happen but like <laughs> some really terrible things happened to me when i was traveling too and and yeah. it's just i think the depth of experience that like it's almost like you can't separate the good from the bad it's like it's like if you just dial up the intensity they both become more intense <laughs> absolutely yes because the intensity is we're just back to the, what we said before. It's the way you travel. It starts and your mindset, but it's all reflected in the way how you travel. And then it's mm -hmm. open to everything. You, th then you cannot choose just one or the other. That's what you do when you are more on the touristy side of a traveler or not a traveler at all, because that's what they do, tourists. Uh, they literally pick, try to pick 
only the, the nice aspect of every country on the planet, mm -hmm. which is okay if you, well, if you're not fit for adventure, it's anyway okay, because you will not, either not like it or not survive it. Um, and, uh, and on the other side, if you have only two weeks, for example, then you might only want this kind of, yeah, it's not an adventure for them. It's a little adventure, but well, it's a tourist stuff, but if you really go out there, what I call and many people before and after me will call traveling. You try to be as much in it out there as possible. And then of course, yeah. everything can and mostly will happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah, that's very insightful because sometimes I, I feel like the reason I don't like tours is because it doesn't feel like traveling because traveling is supposed to be like you're in a new place. And if you're in a new place, you have no idea what to do, no idea what's going on. And if you book in a, a situation in which you do know what's going on and everything's planned for you, that's almost defeating the point of traveling, in my opinion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Uh, that it's only by not knowing where to go, what's going to happen, then really the experience starts. Everything is yeah. like canned food. You know exactly what's inside. So, <laughs> so you go outside, you literally you don't even know what you find, if you find something to eat, what you find to eat. If you get sick of it, you have no freaking idea. And if you like it, then it's the beauty of it. If you don't like it, do something else. What, what was your favorite food in Africa? <laughs> Uh, always the, these absolute things, the favorite, favorite, the worst, the best, my favorite food. Um, oof, again, I've read to think because there's so many strange things. Are, well, but actually, I didn't eat into every local cuisine. Uh, you just eat whatever you find along your way, which is right. a lot, you know, the maize meal, of course. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I don't like that stuff. Did you? No? Yeah. Well, if it comes with some with some good relish or some salad or some flushy beans, oh, then it's fine. The red sauce, right? The tomato red sauce was good, actually. Yeah. Well, actually, that's almost like canned food. But somewhere, I think I don't remember if I'm in Malawi. I had it with some relish, which tasted of meat. Actually, there was even a chunk of meat in in there somewhere, but. <laughs> But nobody touched it. I was eating out with some, well, not out. They just invited me along the, the, the road. Anyway, so let me think. Yeah, of course, it was a lot of pop. Um, what was really good? Uh, hmm. Well, really, really good. I don't recall anything which I was really raving about. Definitely not. No. Well, well, one thing very simple, and I loved it, it was, of course, chai and chapati throughout eastern mm. africa because it's so simple i like the simple stuff it gives you carbs it gives you there's sugar there's milk there's tea there's a little bit of everything in there it's very simple and keeps you going so i had a, quite a few of those but yeah but it's actually it's not a local cuisine the tea is is colonial well now it's tanzanian tea and chabadi is from india so it's not africa yeah tea. i right. can tell right now i can't tell if there was anything well, that might mean that there was nothing striking. Most of the food was super bland in Africa, in my opinion. Yeah. It was like, yeah. yeah, it was like that corn maize meal stuff. Ugali yeah. was what the Tanzanians called it. Oh, that yeah, stuff was tasteless. The name, always the same stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is bland. Yeah, I... They don't spice it at all. That's the way right. they do it all across Africa. And you need the relish. Otherwise, it's good eat plastic. Same thing. Styrofoam. Yeah. Mm. Man, I I remember when me and my buddy were biking in Tanzania, 
what we would do for lunch was we would, uh, you know, we'd be biking, we'd, we'd find a village around noon because it got super hot around noon. Mm -hmm. And then there would be like one local lady with a cafe and it was mm -hmm. just her house. And we would stop in front of the house and say, okay, what do you have? And she's like, well, I have like ugali and chicken. And we're like, fine, let's have that. And so we'd like wait an hour for her to like start up her stove, get some like wood going, get the chicken mm -hmm. cooked. And mm -hmm. then an hour later, you know, we'd have the food. Uh, that would be our break in the middle of the day. And then we'd keep on going. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, remember these kind of things. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, I never, I just, well, very often I just had to look, try to have some food, whatever it could get on my bike, so I can step whatever I want. And then if I saw already something cooking, so I don't have to wait forever. So I just kept going until I might see some, I don't, boiling pots. And then, yeah, and then same thing, basically. Okay, let's see what's cooking. What's up for lunch <laughs> or something and whatever it is. Sometimes once it was, like late breakfast, I remember uh, it was just soup uh, and with cooked banana. Supu nam dizi in Kiswahili. Actually, that was quite tasty, the soup. That was not bad. Yeah. yeah. Only the yeah. hassle about the price was not that nice about later on. <laughs> <laughs> the usual Muzungu ripoff. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> negotiations always like that, huh? Yeah. Well, sometimes there's even no negotiating. Well, usually, yeah, that they ask you a Muzungu price. Then, of course, once you you cross the border, you try to find out what are the prices that they don't rip you off completely. And uh, lucky, I knew already the prices. And she she shot me a number. I don't know five. I don't know five times. Actually, no, it was ten times the price. And, wow! But she didn't want to negotiate. She got really grumpy, and then eventually <laughs> I just gave her what I thought was a good price, more than what I what I what I thought it was uh, the normal price, but still way less than she wanted. And she still was not happy. So you say, <laughs> well, some I think that's another experience where sometimes it's really just that they are happy eventually that they got them uh, some money, but some I would say they're just greedy. They mm. no matter if they don't get the ten times the price, they remain grumpy. I don't know, whatever that happens. Yeah, I think yeah. it's it's something like expectations. Like I think when I was biking through, people either thought I was a missionary or an aid worker, and that was it. Like those were the only types of people who visited those kind of regions, You're and right? like they just thought I was there to like give them stuff, you know. Yeah. And so they'd be like, "Hey, yeah. give me this, give me this. Like, do you have this?" And and. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really like a certain expectation that like like foreigners are all rich, you know, at, at least yes. and I, I suppose compared to them, like that mm -hmm. was a fair bit of money that we had uh, going through that trip. Yeah, compared to, no matter how little money you have, if you live in in our countries as the westernized or western wealthy countries, you will always have more than almost every everyone there. As ninety percent of the population beside then mm -hmm. the super rich, which are, exist in every country, everywhere anyone yeah um but and of course uh, yeah what you said that maybe they thought you're a missionary i can say across all of black africa it's everywhere the same no matter where you go it is just always the same equation muzungu or white man rich you're rich you are walking atm and as uh, one guy um i met in northern kenya he once said uh, even though he was actually this kind of aid and development worker from namibia working in kenya 
And so he was helping all this community. But still, he was kind of pissed off about all the things. And he said, yeah, he hates it because it's, the, the, it's entitlement thinking. Mm. Mo- very, a lot of people across all these countries, they think that you are rich and they're entitled to get something from you. And that's the thing which can get really on your nerves when you keep traveling. So what you experience in some parts. So it's not about just being a missionary. It's just being, let's say, not even white, just being not black or not African. That's the point. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It is, it is a different mindset. Like, uh, it, it must be a product. I'm just speculating here, but I I think like because of the colonialism that happened and like all the the past, like I think it did like leave a sense of like the in group, the out group, and like race is definitely like something that's still like there like like they see a lot of terms things in terms of race i mean totally understandable because like you know the colonial empires were really brutal uh, uh, you know on, on these mm-hmm. these racial disparities for a long yeah. time but i've almost seen that more than anywhere else in the world that i visited in, in africa where they still yeah. view race as like this this concrete thing yes absolutely across most of these countries well well, actually, you can say till all of Black Africa, even starting in South Africa, if you start there, you experience that. And the more you go into the heart of Africa, of course, it gets more and more. And it's still this, it's, it's the aftermath of colonialism. And unfortunately, it didn't end there. What you have now is just a modern colonialism. Disguised as something else, but just the same thing. The world, the whole world, the rich world is exploiting Africa. Every single freaking mm. inch of it. So it never stopped really. And so the, the, the one thing that really changed and not for the uh, better is that now they know that we are rich in the rest of the world because of the internet. Mm. Now everyone mm. has a smartphone there, almost everyone, but for back, uh, I don't know, uh, the, 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 the back uh, hinterlands of uh, Congo, therefore they didn't have smartphones. But uh, the rest, they have smart, though they see what's happening in the rest of the world. Actually, they have even a distorted picture because they see a lot of these reality shows with very rich people. And, and on the other side, who goes there in their country are rich tourists. So everything right. they see that they're being still exploited and the rest of the world is filthy rich. So you do the math. It's just what, two things put them together. So you end up with either not, uh, yeah, being entitled to get something from the white people or hating them. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it is a sad state, like the economic state, you know, of, of the world, like the the kind of wealth disparity, and and the weird thing is, almost nobody is happy about it. Not in the rich countries because there's still a lot of you know a lot of pain in the rich countries there's still a lot of unemployment wealth disparity and in the poor countries like they're envious of the rich countries it's almost like everyone is envious of someone else in this kind of system that we have it's kind of you know no one's fulfilled well uh, well oh, ah, wait there are two different i would say there are two different things between being really being somehow happy and being fulfilled um, and I bet that those who are on the, on the bright side, on the sunny side of this disparity, they're at least happy. Most of them, they're not fulfilled by making more and more money. But at least with the money they have, they can make themselves happy, really happy. They buy them whatever they want. So they are, 
they are well off. But I agree that 90% of the world's population, even if they have something in the, in the wealthy part of the world, they are not really happy. And especially mm. not those. Well, that's actually a very interesting question. Where are people happier? And I, I know there are uh, time and again a lot of surveys around the globe, countries where uh, is the highest happiness. And what about these poor countries? Because I've seen a lot of people in, and I think everyone traveling have seen, has seen that and experienced that, that have almost nothing. If I think about Sudan, southern part of Sudan, where the, the mud desert, something like that, and they have nothing. They have their, mm. their cattle, which sometimes they lose to draws, uh, to drought and then to the desert, and nothing. They live with the cattle. I've seen them. They have a pot for making tea, and basically that's it. But they are happy and invite you for tea. So literally, <laughs> they are happy. Mm. And and even in, in other parts, though, maybe eventually they try to get something from you. Okay. Because that's just, they see that you might have more. But in many cases, still, you, you can feel that they're still happy. That's actually mm. one thing that still have to think about it. Uh, is e Ethiopia was a country where I've seen the majority being not just unhappy, really being uh, torn apart or eaten up by jealousy huh. towards the white people. And I learned it by staying with their, uh, with some local guys uh, there um, in northern part of Ethiopia. I learned that this is uh, instilled into the kids by the parents very often, usually actually. Hmm. This, uh, the, the, the white people, they have more and that is not good and you have to get something and you hate white people. This kind of, of, of jealousy. And But it was really only in Ethiopia. In, in the other parts, I didn't have this feeling. They might want to get something from you, but in many parts, they're still somehow happy. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I figured, you know, since you were biking most of the time during your trip, you probably had a lot of time in your head to, like, think about stuff like this, right? Like, w was, was this the type of stuff that was going through your head? Actually, no. <laughs> because a, a lot of my time well yeah of course eventually you have a lot of time to think about things but still it's not as much as you think by being alone for two years traveling well first well for one thing you are not alone in africa that's the one thing which i don't like about the whole continent almost the whole hmm. continent but for but for the desert because the deserts are mostly empty and there they leave you alone but the rest it's populated. It's very populated, mm. up to the point that in some places you might not even have a few minutes on for your on your own, even even biking. So you mm. cannot think. And and then yeah, you're struggling with a lot of headwind, the weather, sickness, where to get uh, food, where to uh, where to uh, to sneak into the bush. So there are a lot of <laughs> just practical things or everyday worries that keep you as well busy. So mm. eventually, I realized that. And the constant um, contact or sometimes very often harassing harassment by people that keeps you from being alone and thinking, unfortunately. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I guess whatever thing you're doing, there's always day-to-day -day worries and day-to-day -day kind of things that keep you occupied, occupied huh? Yes, yeah, especially on the bike, yeah. 
some yeah. um, well the, sometimes you just yeah you go uphill and when when it's stressy you, you can't think if you run fast for example you might know it if you run fast or uphill you don't think that much because it's a physical effort <laughs> right you're suffering <laughs> yeah if you like like it or not you sometimes it is it can be stressing though that's so you don't think that much, not as much as people might think because when they hear, oh, you was traveling alone. Hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Um, what what kind of sicknesses were, were you being plagued with the whole time? Well, I can only tell about the symptoms because eventually, most of the time, I had no clue. And even whenever then I could find someone to ask, they had as well no clue. So... <laughs> so, well, in categories, a lot, of course, uh, belly stuff, but actually uh, I hardly ever had the normal diarrhea, what usually people think about. And, well, I, I think eventually it's just that you get all sorts of parasites, of microorganisms, of viruses and bacteria on a daily, daily basis almost, being out there and being in contact with people, shaking hands where they just, I don't know, maybe wipe the face of their little toddler who is uh, snot uh, ro uh, rocketing there. Uh, so, and you get all these germs and then mm. what you eat and drink. And so, yeah, and parasites by being in contact with nature as well. But eventually, most of the time, you don't, even, you don't know. You get anything from a bloated stomach, terribly rashes, um, maybe fever, uh, all sorts of pain, yeah, but you most of the time you you don't know what's happening. Huh. Yeah, that does sound a little disconcerting and difficult to push through, especially when you're in a completely foreign place. Yeah, that's what I meant in the beginning. You just accept it. You might rant, rant and rave about it, but but you know nobody will help you, so you just keep going. Huh. That's basically yeah. what you do there. What at least what I do usually, and then, and hmm. uh, yeah. That's pretty much it. As long as you can still breathe and paddle, uh, I damaged my knee very badly. It would have been a reason to to fly out of Africa and, and end the journey. But I realized, oh, I cannot walk anymore, but I can still paddle. Okay, oh, so let's keep paddling. Oh, and God. That's so and then I kept going for another one and a half year with the knee. And turns out <laughs> it was the best thing I could do because if the meniscus uh, is shattered, um, best thing you can do besides surgery, of course, is to paddle. Ooh, wait, so, so how did that happen? Again, I have no clue. I just, <laughs> <laughs> there's no injury. That was as well strange. I just sat down on Lake Malawi. Actually, I was trying to get a break from cycling for a week. So swimming oh. every morning, it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, daybreak, yeah. literally with sunset, I was already swimming far out in the lake, sun coming up, you are out there swimming for an hour, it was amazing. So mm. then after a few days, and then you come back, sit down in front, uh, pitch my tent at one, at one of the, uh, what kind of these places there, kind of the backpackers. So they let me pitch my tent almost right there in front of the lake. So you sit down, mm. crouch down. I just and one morning I come back, sit down, completely relaxed, and uh, and it cracked. It literally cracked, and that's oh. the story. I have no idea. Ouch! And I, I, I was wondering because that was uh, just well, it was eight thousand kilometers into the journey. So you would think, well, eight thousand kilometers. I think that's enough of warm up 
for your muscles and knees, etc. I have no idea. I don't oh, know. Oh man. Oh uh, man, that's a crazy story. <laughs> yeah, so it's just one of many little anecdotes along the way. Um yeah, well so sicknesses I can't tell. I don't know. I'm just thinking I might have gotten dengue fever, but I could have gotten it as well in Australia when I was there for one year. But might be in Africa, but I just didn't realize. I just knew it afterwards when I came huh. back after the two years, and then it hit me really hard. This whatever happens, I was way sicker afterwards than during the the journey, and then they just saw that I had gotten dengue fever at one time. But, oh man! But that's basically that's the only the only thing I definitely know that I got dengue fever. All, all the, the the whole other things, the myriad of stuff i have no idea huh well it, there's there's no doubt that you're a very tough guy you know uh to to be able to do all this without quitting to have have gone through all this um mm. what what was your life before this like <laughs> what <laughs> like First of all, you told I, me yeah you told me you were a management consultant at one point, if I remember correctly, right? As well, as well. Well, I can tell you about what I did before, but let me just say that, that usually I say, well, be it as it may, I don't know if I'm tough, but one thing for sure, I'm very stubborn. If I get my <laughs> mindset on something, I will do it as long as I can breathe. So having said that, what did I do before? Well, originally I'm a scientist, physicist. And mm. that actually was for me set since I was a kid, I wanted to become a physicist. For me, that's their big love. And so for me, the most important science um, in our world is physics. And uh, besides for the living beings, of course, medicine, but medicine is not a science. And, um, yeah. and beside that, I always pursued a career as well, apart from that in the military. But of course, it doesn't work being a physicist and being an officer. So. I had to choose, and I that's a, it's a, a, a career apart from that. So I became a physicist, scientist, and then after that year, I ended up basically as a manager slash consultant slash strategic something, um, hopping around the world as well for a big company and building up, tearing down things, making strategies. Yeah, in a nutshell, this are, is my life before I ditched everything yeah literally all the interesting yeah all this the, the paycheck and the titles i ditched it and got, got out of this uh, red race and started to have, well to have time for this kind of travel yeah i mean that's super interesting because it seems like every phase of your life you were doing something different um oh yeah uh, you know how how much physics did you do how how far did you get into that world well, uh, I studied it completely. Then I worked uh, in, at the university in solid state physics. Okay. Um, and then I decided to do as well a PhD. A PhD already was in more applied sciences, a mixture of everything hmm. um, from physics, chemistry, engineering, uh, what, the, what was microtechnology at that time. Um, so uh, there, I already swerved, uh, I went away from physics at that time. So mm. that answers your question. I don't know. Huh? Yeah, that's that's interesting. And uh, I mean, like, 
what what interested you about physics like why why did you choose physics and and then why did you slowly move away from it oh good question and i think that is e easier to answer than what was my favorite food in africa uh, <laughs> that <laughs> what i'm interested is because well it's very simple physics asks always the question why and that's something hmm. which I started, I think it might, I don't know, maybe it was my first word before I said mom and dad, I guess. Because I was always pestering everybody as a kid. Why is it done like that? And you know, <laughs> the, 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 the big people, they always say, yeah, because it is like that, don't ask. Just accept yeah. it. And I said, no, right. I want to know why. And physics tries really to go to get down to the bottom of everything to find out how is everything working, the micro and the macrocosmos. And that was what's fascinating for me just trying to find out as much as possible about, about the world surrounding us everywhere. And the reason why I got out is because, yeah, being a scientist, literally there academic in the academic world, you, you cannot move a lot of things. You cannot change a lot of things. Having said that, mm. of course, going in the industry into the into research and development facilities of the, in the industry, either, even there, you could not change a lot of things. And that's why eventually huh. I turned to this kind of management and consulting inside the industry where I could make a change, definitely. I would, part uh, of my job was actually change management as well. And, I see. And yeah, changing things. So though one thing was to understand things and the other thing was to change something, make a change in this world. Huh. So what was the change that you felt like you wanted to bring about? Initially, it was not very focused. It was just that you have the feeling at least that what you do has a, a lasting impact at least on something or someone. Hmm. And, well, of course, if you're a scientist, eventually whatever you do might end up being, I don't know, the, uh, the next, I don't know, the cold fusion or something. You never know. That is blue sky research, basically. I, I was doing this basic research in, uh, at the university, so you don't know. But it's too far away, so you're just doing your research. And it, it's, well, and in the industry, at least I, if you build up, for example, I, I build up uh, two engineering centers, giving, giving a job to, I don't remember, 80 people and to some managers eventually uh, gave them the whole task of running the whole thing. So that basically feels good because you change something. And even in yeah. the company, when you go to a region like the Middle East, and you reorganize the whole, all the offices so that they work way more efficient. And then eventually you get as a feedback when you leave that they are really disheartened and say, we cannot do it without you. So you know that you did a good job. You changed something to the, for the better. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Management consulting always like interested me too, in the sense that like, it seems so interesting to like figure out how things work, how the organization works and mm -hmm. how it could work even better and kind of like, like how, how it could be more efficient. Yeah. It's almost like the people version of finding out why this thing exists the way it is and like, like how it could be different. Yes. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, how, how it could be different. Maybe that's as well the overlap because you're trying to find out how does it work, like in physics. How does the company work, yeah. and uh, how can you change it? Well, that was for me was a big advantage that I was both a hybrid job. I was both manager and consultant to the company and to myself basically. 
So they figured sure. out uh, like an analyst, what's going wrong and what do I have to do to change it? And then I put on my manager hat and started changing it. So that was a fascinating part that you have both. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then by changing it, you almost understand it even more. Yeah. Right. Because what I don't like is being big or small players in the consulting business that a lot of them, especially the big ones, they basically just, they move in or rush in into a company, have, have a look around, produce a lot of PowerPoint and slides, tell them what to do, but they don't do it actually. Oh, and yeah. that's why very often it's millions down the drain and nothing happens afterwards. And, and, then, and I was in the position being in the company and taking over this kind of job peril that I could figure out what's going wrong, what can we do done better, and then still change, really change it yourself. Mm. So what were some of the more interesting episodes from that, that uh, time of your life? Which part? The management part of your life. Uh, the last years <laughs> in the lucky <laughs> world. Uh, oh, again, huh? The thing, you mean a very, really thrilling one, a nice one, or? Hmm. Whatever interests you. <laughs> well, for me personally, managing to, to squeeze out a, a, a better deal, salary, the whole deal for his family, for, for example, one of these managers, which I sent them to the Ukraine border. That was for, was, for, was for me very nice, for example. Hmm. Just a very simple thing. Uh, I don't know, it just, I mean, for me, it was just the whole time was very nice. It's not that I quit the job because I didn't like the job. This kind of job because was very nice. You, you work with people, another thing you don't have when you're a scientist. You, yeah. have, you have very, a very small subset of similar-minded people around you, and that's it. But there you were tra traveling a lot, not just a lot, I was traveling all the time and mm. meeting a lot of different people, knowing them, talking, discussing a problem with them. That was fascinating. So the general, every day was basically interesting. I can't say one single thing. Uh, the only thing I remember was just a funny and really nice thing that one morning in, in where the hell was that, in Dubai, I flew in. And it was overnight, so I had just one hour sleep. So I came back down to the lobby a few minutes late, and 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 then we went on. We went to to work, and and then we of course we we went for lunch. And then all of a sudden, some girls show up at the it was kind of buffet at the, the sheriff, and I remember we went there for for business lunch. And then they show up singing with their with a cake with candles on it, and that what the hell is going on? Happy birthday! I completely forgot it was my fourteenth birthday, and they arranged it for me. And that's one thing I really, really remember. That was really nice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> huh? But, yeah. Yeah. It's like a personal touch. That, yeah, I think um... it's, it's just the personal things. Like I remember very nice talk with different various managers uh, around different countries. I have a lot of uh, memories, but it's not just, it's not just one highlight. It's more the personal things. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And then you, you decided you were leaving the rat race and going to Africa after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, well, for one thing, as I said, I, I don't mind working my ass off. I've been a workaholic all my life. Um, uh-huh. And that, that's why I was working a lot. And day and night, seven days a week in the, you know, the different weekends between the Arab world and our world. So you, you end up working seven days a week. <laughs> Oh. But I didn't mind that at all. It was I I loved it, and and but so I didn't really see it as a rat race. The thing is just that I had a lot of other things in my mind I wanted to do. So yeah. I think the job was really thrilling, and I liked it. From the feedback I got, I was good at it. But uh, yeah, I, for example, very simple. I wanted to travel open end like I did now twice or three times mm. just started and come back i don't know when in a few months in a few years of course it's impossible it's just one thing and a lot of other things you don't have time for it so that's why i uh, got out of it yeah that makes sense i mean mm-hmm. i i i also really appreciate the open-ended trips because it's almost like you're just there. You don't have to do anything. There's no like itinerary. You're not crunching time on like, oh, I have to see this. I have to see that before the time is up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, oh, yeah, even on the shorter vacations, like it's just like a short break away from the day-to-day life. It's not like there's not enough time to really immerse in, in where you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends again. I'm, I'm coming back to my first argument. It depends how you travel. It depends on your mindset. Hmm. So because yeah. yeah, you can have I... a few weeks. If you are immerse yourself completely and especially alone in a foreign country, foreign, have no phone, no internet, no nothing around you, just a foreign language, foreign people, um, and, and, and you stop thinking about all the bullshit that's going on at home, even after one or two weeks, you're already in a completely different world, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You're in a different world, but then in that different world, you can have different journeys too. And, and, and for me, it's like I began something and then I have to leave it mm-hmm. as soon as I, like, like I, I was just getting into it. Uh, for me, it takes yeah. like some time to like get into something mm-hmm. and then to like play it out to the end. I think... I think time is important for everything because like sometimes I feel like I start something and then I'm like, Oh no, I don't want to finish it. And I go do something else. But then I realize I, you know, if I stuck to doing it for longer, my perception of it or my experience would probably have been way different. And so I think, I think traveling for a short time is like a different type of experience. I mean, it can be, I think, very immersive um for sure but i think there's not as much time to let those storylines play out right yeah maybe are you maybe talking about the famous to let go as long as you have a deadline which is imminent it's very (laughs) difficult to let go but once you have no deadline neither physical one or well physical maybe because there are borders and that's a problem traveling but uh, that you can stay a month, two months in one place or not is up to you. Then you can really have this feeling to let go. And that changes the whole journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, it also like there was a, a sort of a existential feeling. It's like 
wait, I can do anything with my life right now. There are so many things I could do, but that like, it made me feel very existential. I was like, what should I be doing? I don't know. Like, <laughs> what, what am I doing? <laughs> yes, I met a lot of people, well, mostly very young ones. They literally, they had all this time and at, the, at one moment, they didn't know what to do anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of kind of lost in, in time, not in space maybe as well, but especially in time. They, in time. They have not, I think you have to learn either what to do with your time or to learn to appreciate that you just have time for doing nothing. Yeah. And I've definitely gotten better at it, you know, as I've grown older. And and I, I think, you know, perhaps perhaps you already had things that you were fighting through that occupied you know <laughs> your time like you were it sounds like you were really pushing the limits there and and so perhaps you didn't really feel this when you were on that trip what what do you mean I, what is it what do you think i didn't feel like the the time angst right because like you sounded like your journey every day there were like a lot of challenges and things that you needed to face yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because, well, first of all, I had not the foggiest idea when this trip will end. Mm -hmm. So I had there, it was, yeah, talk about space and time. I've never had the feeling I'm crunched in time, but, but more in space, because of course, hmm. I wanted to keep going. So sometimes I stressed myself out. And then, of course, I told myself, Oh, calm down. Uh, kidogo, hmm. kidogo, as they say in Israeli, uh, calm down, okay. take it easy. I'm uh, not becoming my old former self of being a workaholic and always pushing the limits, etc. Always uh, so, but it was a little bit sometimes that, of course, I wanted to move on and see what the next country is like. So I had yeah. this pull, and but yeah, it was just in the background somehow. The main point is that there was no deadline for the whole thing definitely not yeah yeah that's that's interesting that you say you felt cramped in space rather than time because you were definitely traveling slower um mm -hmm. than i was or most people um and and perhaps that was the limiting factor and, and it's almost like when i was traveling faster in space i was like oh i could take the next bus to this next town or the next flight to this next mm -hmm. place it, it was almost like space was like the thing you know it was easier for me to move around in but time was like well mm -hmm. i'm stuck here and there's the next moment and there's the next moment and and what is the next moment going to bring? It was almost like I was looking for something mm -hmm. and it was going to be somewhere down the line in the future, looking for perhaps like a place or a feeling or an experience. And I, I didn't know when it would come. And I, I wanted to get to the next one, just like you ne wanted to get to the next country almost. Yeah. Well, uh, when you talk about time, one thing is the problem of visas, of course. And, one, and if you travel slow like me, um, first on a bike, and then if there is an interesting city, uh, outside of the city, of course, you know that I always slept in the bush, but then I want to know as well the city, sometimes the capital or some other place, and I might stay many weeks or even months in one place, learning the language, people, reading newspapers, 
again, mm. really living in this country. But then, of course, you have this, there is a deadline every few weeks or if you're lucky months, that is the visa. Yeah. And yeah, so it's just, and this sometimes, yeah, you start running because you realize that, okay, the visa is running out and they will, they will not allow you to stay longer. Then you have to run. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. but that's the only constraint I, I, I'd say. Hmm. Yeah. What, um, what did you think of the cities in Africa? <laughs> Again, it is funny. These questions have a very, <laughs> very generic question. The, the cities in Africa. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, um, well, again, there's everything there. Uh, you, I think the most developed, of course, everyone knows is let's say it's Cape town. And even downtown Nairobi, for example, you think if you just really downtown, um, high rises, big supermarkets, a bank, um, red lights, robots, and, and you think you're just in a normal wealthy country. And yeah. Wintook was already, in Wintook where we met, uh, you could feel you are not in a Western country, even though Namibia is well off, but Wintook is kind of small. But mm -hmm. so, and then of course you have a lot of other cities where you definitely know where you are, um, <laughs> even though you might like it. I remember very well Harare, for example. I I it, I really like to be in Zimbabwe and in Harare, where a, a lot the majority told me not to go there. And mm. yeah, because it's quite messed up, and but now they they have really pro a lot of problems. Well, now the dictator's gone. Now we, of course, but that was before my time. He was still there, old Bob, uh, Robert, oh, Robert. but um, <laughs> his highness or whatever he was calling himself. Anyway, but Harare, because you can tell it is a nice city. It was a very wealthy, well-developed city. And I liked that. And the people were educated, not just in their mind, in their heart. And even though you could see the decay, of course, because there has no money anywhere left there. Yeah. But still, mm. they were trying to keep it up. And that's what I like there. I don't know. It has a, it had a vibe that, of course, you could tell you are in Africa. Hmm. But I don't know, this this feeling of, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to explain um, that. Yeah, that it was a, a, a wealthy. I'm not just repeating myself, a wealthy country uh, and, and capital so but mm. eventually every city is different and for as much as i love the bush or the desert or the jungle um i like to stay as well quite some time in a city because it, it gives you just a completely different and i would say as well very important perspective about what it's like to be in this country yeah yeah, I yeah, like you know, some cities are younger, more chaotic, and like they seem like they're upcoming. Maybe they have a big future, but right now everything's a mess. Maybe like yeah. in Harare, it's more nostalgic. It's like oh, it was like once wealthier, and now it's kind of like maybe calm down a bit or quieted. Or I don't rundown, know. rundown, definitely. rundown. Yeah, yeah. I think in 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 Uganda, Kampala. <laughs> That was quite a thing, man. Okay, it's, a, it's quite a fair, again, a fairly large capital, but downtown Kampala, I've never ever seen anything congested like that. I could not even pass with oh. my bike. Oh, no. It was just <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> so, but again, so different from other cities. But again, it's, yeah, 
this is again we're back to the beauty of traveling you just if you fly in you go to a nice hotel you're shown around you will never see all these differences right right it's almost like you know i i like traveling by ground just because you kind of see the linkages between everything and everything just changes just slow enough that you can appreciate how different one city is to the next to the next and sometimes when i fly between cities it's like boom and then you're like whoa this is just different you know and, Mm -hmm. and oh yeah i don't even know where to start to compare it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well traveling my ground is yeah as well my favorite if you got the time um because as well you adapt you see the people in the countryside and you reach the city you have as well time to adapt so i think the problem that we of course we are not robots and um, we have as well to adapt to this new country and if you're just flying from one city to the other i don't i i doubt that you really learn as much not just because you more things happen once you travel from to the border and then from the border to the next capital it's just because the, the the change is so abrupt and then you're thrown into a completely different new realm you might adjust to that but then you fly into the next one some people yeah rock around the world tickets well of course it's yeah. 18 it's interesting and <laughs> at least you get a you get far away from home first impressions but yeah. uh, if you only do that and then you you tell people afterwards once you grow bald and a big belly and a big bank account and you tell people oh i've seen the world that's that's balderdash it's bullshit <laughs> you made a lot quite some experiences but you haven't seen a lot <laughs> yeah it's sometimes i feel like you know we we're all like seeing things you know filtered through how we would we think it is or how we'd like to see it and and it's almost like traveling makes that makes that so tangible to me because because you kind of pick your experiences you kind of pick the mode of travel you kind of pick cuz you know most people have traveled in completely different ways from you and they've never experienced like all these hardships and all these beautiful things in the way that you have and and it's almost like traveling makes it very tangible like the way you want to experience things oh yeah well as we said before eventually it's your choice i just i just try to to tell people whatever you do just make sure that it is you that want to do it that it is you <laughs> and that it makes you happy yeah. that's all if, if it makes you happy to to sit in a nice fresh big hotel and and still think about all your stocks etc fine with me if this is your life absolutely fine yeah but just make sure that it is your life yeah hmm. so now now you've uh you've come back to europe and um you're you're writing a book about the whole adventure uh, it's quite a journey i can tell <laughs> um yes it's i mean yeah you must you must have to it must be a lot reflecting on the whole experience and trying to like distill it into these kind of pages it 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 doesn't sound easy for sure well it depends on what you want to have in the at the end um because by now a lot of people 
I think, write about their journeys or even blog or make a video out of it, a movie, up to full feature film. But the thing is, what, what kind of story do you want to tell? I'm not, I'm not saying about, I'm talking about making up a story, but you could just write a travel book. So just whatever, what you did and what you saw. That's one thing. And that's actually, I think, quite easy. Just your memories, your diary and your photos. But I had this idea of putting more into that, just bringing it way more meat to, the, uh, to, the, to these bones. So it's not just a skeleton which you just rush through in a few months writing and then you have a few hundred pages. Um, so I'm trying to really to think about what and how I experienced things, what was the background, politics, economy, um, what's going on inside myself. So it might have even, I'm afraid, some biographical uh, traits. Um, and yeah, a lot of yeah general comments about yeah colonialism, the aftermath, what's happening there, um, how the West, the, the Western footprint in Africa. So I'm trying to cover a lot of different levels. And well, maybe I'm a little bit conceited and, and I think that might hopefully set me apart from a very, I would say, boring uh, travel report. But that was my idea, basically. Not just to write, been there, done that on 500 pages. I, I think there are too many books like that already out there. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, good to, you know, make something different. I mean, that's what will catch people's eyes, right? But I mean, just personally, I love, I love ideas and, and I can tell you're passionate about it just from all the different ideas that we've kind of talked about just from, mm. from these experiences that you've had. Oh, yeah. Well, well, in the end, I have no idea if somebody likes the way I write or not. And I started out writing it just, first of all, for myself, because I had this urge. Like on this journey, you, I don't know, you might remember that I wrote already a few very short, short stories about some anecdotes, very funny, uh, exhilarating anecdotes. And then I had this urge, okay, let's write down more. Um, but not just what I did, um, really about what was I thinking, feeling about a lot of how, yeah, psychology as well, 101, basically. And, well, I don't know. And, and then it was for me and for those, I don't know, one or two dozen friends around the world that will appreciate the book. I don't know. But maybe it will be more. I don't know. Oh, well, I'll definitely be one of them. So uh, you're, you're going to have one loyal fan of the book. At well, least. you don't know yet. You might end up saying, oh, what a crap. You never know. <laughs> The one thing is for sure that since I'm, t I'm touching on so many different levels and subjects in the book, in, in this uh, book, um, that it, I, I, I think there will always be some, there, there will be something for everyone to love and to hate probably. Because mm. uh, there are even some very stern opinions in there. I tried to, to restrain myself a little bit, but not too much because I wanted to be authentic. I don't want to yeah. really write some made-up crap. It should be really my <laughs> thoughts. And of course, I'm trying to use decent wording, of course. But So there will be a little bit of everything for everyone. And there will be sure always some passage that somebody will not like. Yeah. And, and I think like most strongly, it, it will definitely attract attract people that think like you 
because I mean, it sounds like you're putting yourself into the book. You had high points in the travels. You had low points in the travels. And, you know, if you think of your book, like a recounting of your travels, you know, maybe there's some parts that people love. Maybe there are some parts that, you know, people are like, Ooh, this is a strong opinion here. But I think if they think like you, like, and, and those are the people that will be attracted to the, your book the most and who will understand it the mm -hmm. most anyways. I well, think that's a good thing. Yeah, well, actually, yes. And of course, if you clone me, then my other me will like it, probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I guess, yeah, people, I could imagine that you might like a, a, most of it. Um, because that's how we started talking as well already in Zoom Park. No, Zoo Park. Not Zoom, <laughs> Zoo Park in winter. Um, <laughs> I think a, a traveler in general might like I think big part of the book, but yeah. eventually just take, for example, of course, if I had very beautiful, uh, moments, um, finding uh, my own spots, uh, climbing halfway, uh, a little bit down, uh, Victoria falls, um, and then sitting there in the mist. And it was just mind blowing this experience or this moment. And then you describe it in hope. I tried to put it into very poetic very beautiful colorful words so and on the okay. other side i might be very harsh and really very critical about what the heck we we rich people are doing in africa so you see <laughs> a, a very a stark contrast so some some will like one thing but not the other i don't know yeah yeah it's like a no no you know no holds bared uh, approach to yes. the trip you know Pretty you, much. you say it like yeah. it is I think that whatever happens everywhere in, in my mind, in other people's mind talking to me, um, and I deem it interesting and worthy to put it into the book, even to have some sort of red line, uh, red thread in there. Um, so to hopefully to make it interesting. But the main point was that it should be authentic. Whatever happened outside or inside of me. Hmm. I agree. That's, I think, I think that's a nice way of, of doing it because like, I think we're the best at being ourselves, you know, we're, we're ourselves better than anyone can be. And so, Good one. you know, <laughs> yes. <My bad> one. <laughs> yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah, to put mm -hmm. that into writing, that's, you know, that is the best book, at, you know, that, you could write is just to be yourself in it <laughs> right you put it that, that's, that's really amazing nice i have to write that down what you're saying yeah because that's only if you're doing what you are really yourself then you can do it well if you're trying to copy someone else it's not uh, beside that it's not you it might sound at one point it might sound artificial you're just copying you're trying to be someone else yeah yeah, I was, I mean, I, you know, I was just reading um, Swan's Way by Proust, and he's mm -hmm. a very different writer. Like, like mm -hmm. he just rambles on and on about, like, stuff that it's in his mind, about his childhood. It's mm -hmm. like a story within a story in a story, and he just writes these, like, huge descriptive lines about, like, flowers mm -hmm. or the sunset or, yeah. like, riding in a carriage. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think not everyone likes that kind of style because it is very different and it doesn't have mm -hmm. a clear plot but yeah. it's clear like that is the way his mind works and that's how he thinks mm -hmm. and the reason 
people like his book is because he just wrote it like the way he was. You know, he was authentic in that book. I think you you're, you're really might have a point in that, that the great literature, I think any kind of great art is really great because, yeah, it comes from within the author of this art. That he really puts himself, his, his whatever, his thoughts, his, his soul, his heart in there. And that's authentic. And then, of course, some people will not like it. But those who, who like it, they really like it then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that that core the core fans you know like the people that like also think like that or the people who really get it are the ones who will be like wow we really get this you know like yeah. and 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 yeah i think that's a beautiful thing that you're doing we'll find out <laughs> and first i still have to finish it will become very thick i already am joking around with people that i have no idea if you might like it when the day i finish it but one thing is for sure at least you can use it to swat some giant cockroaches for what is then big <laughs> uh, have you thought about what you might title it that's the i think one of the two first things i had uh, what's the title, right? Hmm. And are, are you willing to share it? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll keep it a mystery then. <laughs> yes. Until the well, you never know. Maybe I will. Might still change it. Well, it's a very simple title, but um, so well. Let's see. I still want to cover a few more pages, and then one day I might have the feeling. So now I can start sharing something. Now I still have the feeling I'm right in the middle of this new journey. I have no idea how it will end, when it will end. And I, I, I have this feeling of it's just too early about disclosing some, some like that. Because then people already have right. some vision about it. And then if it still takes another, I don't know, two years, I don't know, you know, people, then they are, always will keep this vision, even though the book might have changed by then. So it's a little bit difficult. <laughs> you know. Well, it's uh, we are over our hour of podcasting, but oh, I want to yeah, say yeah, yeah. I want to say it was really a pleasure uh, uh, <laughs> speaking to you about it uh, and hearing all of your stories about all these different things that you've done. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's beside the podcast. That's one of the reasons why I love traveling. Is mm. uh, yeah, because you meet people like I, I met you. It's, 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 of course, I pile up experience. I might inspire other people, but if I cannot get some inspiration and experience, then it's a waste of time as well. And traveling, especially when you travel really some, this kind of, uh, uh, yeah, down to earth traveling, the, the more, the simpler, the better, of course, the more difficult, but it's amazing what kind of people you, you, you meet in the middle of nowhere, even there. Have, well, I have tons of anecdotes. Of, <laughs> uh, it's, and that's the, for me as well, the beauty of travel. It's not just seeing places, no matter how beautiful they are. It's about as well, really the people from around the world that you, that yeah. you might find there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I met one guy that once said to me, like, you know, when you travel and you meet other travelers and you hear their stories and you hear stories from the locals uh, and then you pass these stories on to other people, it's almost like you become a collection of stories. I thought that was very nice. Right, a collection of stories. Yeah, it is. Actually, yes. Yeah. You're piling on and you, pile, you give it on to others. 
I think that's why as well, I think nice if you start writing about these things. And of course, the, the, the big task is to figure out which of these anecdotes are worth writing about. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you had a lot, of course. So, yeah. Well, Antonio Ruzzo. Ruzzo. He's a physicist. He was a management consultant, a world traveler, and now a writer. Uh, and we're all looking forward to your book. I'm definitely going to de definitely let me know, and, and I will read it like a lion. Well, I definitely let you know, but don't hold your breath. It will still take some time. <laughs> I'm a patient man, but oh, uh, it, was, uh, it was a pleasure talking. Huh? Well, pleasure was definitely all mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the Crow's Nest signing off.